Hey there, welcome to Before Bed Night School. Just thinking about the way that advertising just continues to try to camouflage itself. It has to keep up, it has to develop new ways of camouflaging itself. It needs to be a chameleon. And you can see this in all different types of advertising, you know, from, I mean, what you see online these days where advertising is hidden, like let's use social media as an example, where advertising is embedded into social media websites to look like posts. So you're scrolling through social media or looking at posts from people that you follow, and then you'll come across something and without fail, it just doesn't feel right. You never see it and think like, huh, I wonder what that is. Like, even if you're not really paying attention and for a second, you're like, who, who the heck, who the heck posted this? But without fail, something feels wrong. It never feels like, and it's not like you go through your social media accounts and you love everything. I mean, you don't, chances are you, you dislike some of the things people say and post, but it's different. It still feels organic. Like somebody, somebody that you know or somebody that you follow on a social media website can post something you hate, but it still feels real. It still feels authentic in some way. It feels like it's coming from a person. But when you come across one of those promoted posts, you immediately, something feels different. And it disturbs you. Something about that is very disturbing. Because it's, it's kind of like a form of the uncanny valley where it's like it almost... It looks like something that you're supposed to look at, but then you see it and you think like, what the fuck? What's wrong with this? Oh, it's a promoted post. It's an ad. And it's interesting how that's developed because you didn't see that on forums. You know, back when forums were popular, there weren't posts made to look like forum posts. There would just be a banner at the top of the page and maybe the technology hadn't developed. Maybe maybe the, the code wasn't capable of Maybe it wasn't dynamic enough to embed random advertisements and make them camouflage them as posts. But you see this on social media. I mean, uh, you see it on the nightmare portal called Reddit, where they make something look like just another post, but it's an ad. And you feel something when you see that. You know, it's something, it's like on a gut level, like your, your insides like shrink for a second when you see that. But it's not just that, it's not just technology camouflaging advertisements. It's also people. I mean, you think about a salesman and a good salesman is somebody who convinces people that they have their best interest in mind, that they're like a friend. You know, you, you look really good in this car. Oh my God, you look good in this car. This car just fits you. Oh, this, dude, you're going to get such a good deal on this car. I'm looking out for you. And, you know, that's just customer service in general, Custo even outside of sales. You know, customer service is like, I'm going to be really nice to you and accommodating so that you like me, so that you think I like you. And that way you'll tell people how much you love our business. You'll tell people how much you love McDonald's. Because the staff is so nice to you. So there's this element of camouflage to that where it's like, I'm going to pretend that I'm somebody who has your best interests in mind. I'm going to pretend that I'm almost like your friend. 
And that way you'll want to buy the products. That way you'll want to recommend this place. And it's funny because, you know, nature has that too. I mean, we see camouflage in nature. Chameleons. Turns out chameleons are real. There's those octopi that are capable of changing colors based on whatever object they're on. I mean, stick bugs. It's not just predators. You know, there's predators who use camouflage, but also prey, which is interesting. It's interesting that both predators and prey in the wild both use camouflage to their advantage. They blend in. And that's what we see with advertising, commercials, sales. It's all about blending in. And, but there's something disturbing about it. There is sort of an uncanny valley effect where it almost seems nice. And we've, we've gotten so accustomed to that, like going back to the idea of salespeople or just customer service people being nice, that when they're not nice, we're offended. And I mean, nobody wants to have a, a salesperson be a jerk to them. Nobody wants the cashier at McDonald's to be in a bad mood. And it's one thing if it's offensive. Like, I mean, I think we've all been on, you know, a phone call with customer service where they're actually rude to us, like the person's having a bad day or they're just a dick. But it doesn't bother me, for example, if the person isn't in a good mood. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was at the grocery store and this local grocery store, the, the, the grocery outlet, it's gotten hit with a lot of stuff lately. Like there was a robbery there where an employee got a gun pulled on him and struck with a bottle. And then I was there the other day and they had a sign up saying wanted for assault. And there were four youth, what they like to call youth. There was a surveillance photo of four youth. And uh, it said wanted for assault. So there was another assault there. But when I was at that grocery store a couple weeks ago, like somebody asked one of the employees how they were doing and they said, not good. And then when I was checking out the guy who's normally very in a great mood, he always, he's always the cashier when I'm there. I, I said, Hey, how's it going? And he was like, I'm here. But you know, it didn't bother me that they weren't in a good mood. Like, even though at the time, like I wasn't thinking about the fact that this place has been hit with like assaults and robbery, whether or not there's a reason for it, it makes no difference to me whether the person at a store or a restaurant is in a good mood. It actually... I actually feel better that people can be who they want to be and they aren't hostages to professionalism. I mean, I think there's, there's something to be said for having the self-control and self-motivation to not be super depressed and a bummer at your job. But I also don't expect people to be fake nice like everybody's expected to be because that's kind of what I'm talking about, which is like that fake niceness that goes along with professionalism. We know it's not real. We know that like, because sometimes we do like have an experience with somebody who's working somewhere and we're like, that person was seemed genuinely nice. Like they seem to genuinely have my interests in mind. And I felt really good about that interaction. Like sometimes there are people like that. There are people who do manage to be real when they're really nice. And those are often people who do love their job. But, you know, nine times out of ten, it's somebody who's just expected to be that way because they want the customers to come back. They don't want the customer to complain. 
And we kind of expect that now. We know that that's built in. So we know that that's a rule or a guideline. So we kind of expect it. And when someone isn't that way, we're like, oh, God, I went there. And they, it was such a bummer. The girl didn't even smile. I can't believe that I went into the store and the employee didn't even smile. You know, people kind of expect that now. But yet when the person does smile and they act fake nice, we know it's not real, too. We know it's a form of camouflage. We know that it's kind of manipulative, not on the employee's part, but just on the part of businesses, on the, on the, the part of industry, the fact that that's become a standard. It's kind of how I feel about eye contact and handshakes, where like I do have a firm handshake. I'll admit that. I, I think I have a firm handshake. I don't think I have a weak handshake, but I don't care if somebody has a weak handshake. Because the thing is, like, all of those rules that are taught to people, like, make eye contact and, and give somebody a firm handshake, because that's been explained to everybody, because everybody's been taught how to do that, it doesn't actually signal character at all. Like, the idea is that, oh, when you do that, you signal that you have character. And maybe some people are impressed by that, but that's been taught so much that it's, it's not authentic. It doesn't actually show any character. It's a trick. And that's what all this stuff is. It's a trick. And it's funny to me, though, because like going back to just the idea of advertising, like whether it's an Internet ad, whether it's a TV commercial or even print. What's interesting about it, though, is it's always catch like like people are always. Um, it's always catching up to people like it's always behind in the race. And when people become aware of it, they don't like it. And that's the interesting thing about like the idea of embedding advertisements in social media feeds. The idea of camouflaging advertisements online to look like posts. I think that actually gives people a much worse experience. I mean, I know it does. And it used to be, you know, banners were very obvious. Internet ads were banners little sidebars they were, they were obvious they weren't hidden maybe sometimes it would be a link sometimes like a, like a link on the page would actually take you to something that's being promoted or advertised but for the most part it was kind of like online ads were in their own little territory and yeah there used to be pop-ups which they got rid of oh my god the, Oh my God, pop-ups are destroying my computer. You think about the grief that people, <laughs> the grief that pop-ups used to give people. That's a different era for sure. A completely different era. But I was even just thinking about things like, this is kind of a different, on a different note. But the other day, I think I was talking about this. I think I might've talked about this, you know, with Facebook like pages and things like that where it's like there was this era where like people got very into self-promotion I think I already covered that so I don't need to go into it um, but we kind of caught up to that and we were like oh this is no longer tolerable it's no longer toler tolerable for pe other human beings that we know to constantly promote their shit to us and so as a result people have to find new ways to do that you know, because it's always there's always people behind this, and it's it's important to remember that. It's easy to forget that like somebody made the decision to do this. Like when you see advertisements embedded 
into your social media newsfeed. A human being made the decision to do that. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that, like, not just the programmers, you know, some, you know, uh, rogue programmer didn't just decide to do that. There were probably extensive meetings. And then one company saw another company do it, and they were like, that's a great idea. Advertisers will love it. But thinking about TV advertisements in particular, at some point, you know, I don't know when it happened. It might have been earlier on than I realized, but at some point they decided that, oh, commercials have to be funny. Commercials have to be funny. You know, and so much of them revolve around somebody doing something embarrassing, somebody doing something humiliating. You know, if you have even a, a tiny amount of pattern recognition ability, you know that all TV commercials now that utilize that idea of humiliation. It's always a white male having a tantrum, behaving in an extremely embarrassing way. And somebody else, somebody who's not a white male will set them straight. I mean, last night, you know, I was, I was joking about how I looked up world's best pizza the other night. And sure enough, all I'm getting are pizza ads, but shitty pizza. I looked up World's Best Pizza, and I'm not getting ads for great pizza. I'm getting ads for Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, Domino's. And I think that's because there's so many companies trying to sell that. Like, even watching TV, so many commercials are for pizza. Like, I'm still getting ads for Australian duster trench coats. Like, a month ago, I looked up, uh, when I was reading about Columbine... I was curious what the origins were of those trench coats that have almost like the awning on the shoulders. They almost have that like, uh, it's almost like a little tiny cape that goes around the shoulders and it's called a duster. A duster. And I guess that's an Australian invention. I guess those trench coats came from Australia. They're called Australian dusters. Australian dusters. So I just looked it up. I don't even remember what I learned about it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what I learned, but I looked at it. And that's, that, that tells you everything. But I just looked it up once. I looked up Australian dusters and I read a blurb about them. And I'm still, like last night, today, I'm still getting ads for Australian duster trench coats. But there aren't that many companies trying to sell you duster trench coats. Whereas looking at pizza the other night, there's so many damn companies that sell pizza that now I'm just getting nothing but pizza uh, ads. And last night I got one for Little Caesars and it was camouflaged as if it was a social media post, but it was a promoted post for Little Caesars. And of course it was like a, like a white man walks into a Little Caesars and he has a tantrum because they don't have what he wants. And then it's a black woman behind the counter who, you know, very... Um, very professional and, and dignified, explains to him that he can still get the deal that he wants. And so he stops having the tantrum and he's like, oh, great, you know, oh, yay. You know, because that's, that's, that's the formula. It's a rule. It's a rule of advertising. And if you have even a, a basic level of pattern recognition, you can see it's not, and it's not just the whole, it's not just the whole diversity in advertising thing. It's, there's a very, like any commercial that involves somebody doing something embarrassing or humiliating, there's a rule in advertising where it has to be a white man because they, they believe in punching up. Oh, it, and if you told somebody, that, what's funny about that is if you were to tell somebody that who has a certain social or political agenda, 
they'd be like, that's not true. Advertising isn't just all humiliating white men. You're racist. You're paranoid. You're, you're crazy. But if they were to actually sit there and watch a football game with you, for example, they would see that any commercial that involves a person doing anything embarrassing, which is a lot of advertising now. At some point, a decision was made that we're going to try to sell things to people by making somebody look really stupid. And then we're going to have what used to be called the straight man, but it's uh, it could be anybody now. But we're going to have a straight man who like sets them straight. And the formula is the rule, and this is a rule because this is this is done deliberately. It's not just random that commercials involve the humiliation of white men. It, it's a very deliberate decision, and the idea is that you know they're punching up. It's like oh, white men are are the oppressors; they're the people in power. And you know, and honestly, if if they had a commercial where I mean, just thinking about that little Caesar's commercial. Where if you had a black woman walk into that little Caesars and have a tantrum because they don't have the deal that she wanted and a white man was behind the counter and calmly explained to her that she can still get the deal, people would be in an uproar. So they, they partially do it just out of safety because they know that there's going to be a much harsher response. They know they know they can get away with the way they're doing it, but there's a lot more to it. And it's not the same thing as just diversity in advertising, although it, it it runs into that, of course, but it's a little different. But if you were to tell somebody that, but I mean, even normal people are aware of it. Like my mom was a Democrat who voted for Hillary Clinton. And even she would, she would watch TV all the time every night. And she would comment on it. She's like, have you ever noticed how like TV commercials are doing this? And I was like, oh, I've noticed. And the thing is, and too, if you were to bring that up to somebody, they'd be like, oh, you, you're offended, huh? You're upset, huh? It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not offended or upset. I'm just aware of what they're doing. I'm observant. And it's enough of a pattern that you can just sit down and watch TV or just even internet advertisements if they're videos and see that that's what they're playing off of. And it's not even just humiliation. I mean, there's commercials where... You know, white men get physically assaulted. Like there's commercials when you're watching football where it's often like a white dad and he's generally doing something stupid or embarrassing or dangerous or gross. And it'll be like a white dad doing something and then a football player comes in and tackles him or throws him. There's a couple commercials like that where he's actually physically assaulted for being stupid. The white dad is physically assaulted by some professional football player who's doing a cameo on this commercial where he'll he'll run and tackle him or he'll pick him up and throw him. I mean, another one, there was a yoga commercial. It was cartoon characters. It was these cartoon characters doing yoga. And it was a white man and two women. And one of them, of course, was not white. I think one of them was a white woman. And, oh, one of them farts. Because I don't even know what the commercial was for. It was probably for some sort of odor control or something. Some, something. Something involving odor. And it's a cartoon. And, and there's three people doing yoga. And one of them's a white man. And one of them farts. Can you, can you guess which one it is? Can you guess which one does the gross thing? I bet you can. But somebody would deny that that's even happening. They would probably, if, they, if they're not already aware of it and they have a social or political agenda counter to that they would be like it's not even happening 
you're crazy. And then if they actually sat though and watched TV for, you know, just a half hour, they would see that, oh yeah, that is a pattern. But then they would say, because this is, this is how this process plays out. Then they would say, well, it's actually a good thing because it's punching up. And my take is like, why humiliate anybody at all? Why, you know, beyond if you, getting away from, you know, the race and gender aspect of it, why is, why is so much advertising based around the idea that somebody has to be humiliated or embarrassed at all? Just strange that we've gotten to that place where so much advertising involves that element. But that falls into that category of you shouldn't be noticing that. You're wrong for noticing that. You're in the wrong if you notice that pattern. If you are capable of recognizing that pattern, you're the one with the problem. And that's, that's a phenomenon that's interesting to watch play out. It happens in the, the corporate news a lot. A lot of people have picked up on it where if something is happening and people are noticing it and you're not supposed to notice it, the initial response is it's not happening. That thing that you're noticing is not happening. And then when it becomes undeniable, it goes from, well, it's happening, but here's why it's a good thing. A lot of people have pointed this out because it happened with inflation last fall. I think it was early fall when inflation was starting to become noticeable. There were some editorials in large corporate newspapers that said inflation isn't happening because people were starting to notice it and point it out. So they, they launched this campaign of inflation. It's not actually happening. But then when it became obvious that it was, they started releasing, this is more than one publication. This was actually pretty widespread. They started to say, well, inflation is happening but it's actually hurting rich people, evil, scumbag rich people more than it is the working people. There was an article that was something to the effect of inflation is happening, but here's why it might actually be a good thing. So that's kind of the same thing as this advertising thing I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, commercials involve this punchline where somebody is humiliated a misguided or stupid baby of a person who's always cast as a white man. You know, th this is a pattern. This is a rule. I would call it a rule at this point. It's not just a trend. It seems to be a rule because these, these decisions are made in meetings. They're very consciously, they're, they're very consciously making this decision when they cast people. But I think, you know, conversations, and it's not like I bring this up with people. Unfortunately, I mean, you can't because people will think that you're, I mean, it just becomes sort of a, it, it becomes an equivalent conversation of like, oh, why, why is there a black entertainment channel, but not a white entertainment channel? Why is there a gay pride parade, but not a straight pride parade? I think this is different though, because it does involve one specific type of person being humiliated over and over again. But you're not supposed to notice it. But if you do, someone would say, some phantom would say, 
Well, it, that is happening in advertising, but here's why it's good. It's because the white man has been in power for so long and he's oppressed so many other people that it's actually good to humiliate him because we're punching up. That punching up is, of course, kind of a catch-all excuse for any kind of behavior directed toward the person you're upset with, the person you have some sort of bias against, punching up. But anyway, I don't have too much more to say on that. It's just, it's just something that's very noticeable, that's all. And you're not supposed to notice it. But, you know, I do wonder about just that idea in general, getting away from the identity aspect, just the idea of... Let's sell this product by having somebody do something that's mortifying, something that's really embarrassing and awkward and inappropriate. And then somebody who's more sane will set them straight. And in setting them straight, they're going to direct them toward a better product. There was another commercial where it was a white dad. And he was, his, he was with his family. And he's trying to make an investment decision. And he, he's talking about he's going to invest his kids' college funds I think in a stadium or something. He's like, I'm going to invest my kid's college fund into a stadium. He's going to make a bad investment using his, the money that he's saved for his kids for college. And his, a black woman accountant, very, um, very tactfully explains to him why that's a bad idea. And, and, of course, the commercial is for some sort of financial service. So she directs him toward this financial service that the commercial is selling by being like, no, don't make that stupid decision where you're going to blow your kid's college fund on a bad investment. And he's acting, you know, in the most, he's, he's a complete baby because that's how they're always depicted. It's always somebody, it's always a man behaving like a complete baby. And of course, it was a very conscious decision to make the financial advisor, a black woman. That was a very conscious decision. But the, when you strip away those decisions, the idea is just that we're going to show somebody doing something horribly embarrassing and we're going to direct you to use our product, to use our service, by contrasting that with this baby, this, this adult baby. I wonder how effective that is. I wonder how effective a lot of this stuff is. You know, obviously a lot of a lot of studies and a lot of thought goes into this, but you know, it used to be where people would be like, I love I love advertising. I love marketing. But it's gotten so pathological, it's gotten so deep up its own ass that you'd think that people at this point would just be like, here is our product and here is why it is good. And the only commercials you see that don't try to be funny in some way, they're, they tend to be like uh, pharmaceutical commercials and car commercials. You know, car commercials, of course, are like, here's the new Dodge truck. You love going outdoors and driving over. You, you love driving in the dirt. You're a rugged man. You know, they tend to be, it's a rugged guy. You know, they, like car, car commercials usually aren't, they usually don't use comedy. They use 
This is the type of person you are, and this car represents you. And pharmaceutical commercials are just cheesy, like whether it's for erection dysfunction, whether it's for like, you know, some obscure illness that only some people have. You don't usually see humor used when they're selling pharmaceuticals, but for just about everything else, they try to use humor. At some point, trying to make stupid jokes became the way that we sell things. And most people, of course, hate it. Most people don't find commercials funny, even as a matter of principle. You know, I've told that story on here before about that girl that I know here. Kind of like my secret crush for a few years. Not a realistic crush where I was actually interested in pursuing her, but she was a, like, a, like a childhood friend of a friend that I had here. And I sort of enjoyed the fact that she was my secret crush. And, you know, if I ran into her out and about, we would hang out, but not somebody I ever tried to pursue. But, uh, you know, when I told my friend, like the friend who grew up with her, when I told the friend about it, they were like, do uh, you know she's, you know how ditzy she is? Do you know how ditzy she is? And I was like, nah, no, she's not. And then a little while later, <laughs> we were hanging out with her. And this is a girl, too, where, like, she got into smoking weed in her 30s. I think she was raised religious, and she didn't try weed. She didn't smoke weed until she was, like, 32. And then she just fell right into it and wanted to smoke weed all the time. So every time I would see her, like, at a bar or anything, she'd always be like, let's go out into the alley and smoke weed. And so we were doing that. We were smoking weed, and then, and then she was like, have you guys seen the backseat driver commercials or no sorry no not commercials she said have you seen the backseat driver videos oh my god they're funny and keep in mind i i, I love this girl <laughs> I, I i love this girl she, she was funny she was fun but like we were just like no i don't we don't know what you're talking about the backseat driver videos i don't know and she was like she lived up the street so she was like let's go to my house and watch them and so we went to her house and we were stoned and drunk and she starts, she, she has like one of those TVs that's hooked up to a computer, pretty much all TVs, I guess now, but she starts playing us, she cues up these videos and starts playing them for us. And like within tech, 10 seconds, something doesn't feel right. Kind of that same feeling I'm talking about, like you're scrolling through social media and you see a post and you go, something feels wrong about this in my stomach. Something feels wrong. Oh, it's an ad. That's how it felt like 10 seconds into this video, maybe not even 10 seconds. And my friend turns to me and goes, she looks at me like our mutual friend. She turns to me and she's like, is this a commercial? And the girl that we were hanging out with who was showing us these videos goes, I, I guess. And sure enough, she brought us to her house, like talking up these videos. Oh, the backseat driver video. You got to see this. Oh my God, they're the funniest videos. She took us to her house just to show us these commercials. They were at, they were commercials for a rental car company. And th there were a few of them. And the joke was is that like people go to rent these cars and there's a guy already in the back seat just hanging out. Where are we going? Like someone rents a car from this rental Like I think the I think the joke was is that most rental car companies this is what happens at some rental car companies. You rent the car and you get it and there's a guy in the back seat. That was the joke. But it's a freaking commercial for a rental car company and this girl like what's so interesting about it is it made no difference to her. Like it made no difference to her 
that these commercials, that these videos were commercials. Like it made no difference to her that she thought the funniest videos in the world were these actual commercials for a company. And they felt like commercials. It's not like the, it's not like it was just something that happened to be really funny that had an ad tacked onto the end. It, the whole thing was it felt like you were watching TV and it was any other commercial with a stupid joke. And when my friend turned to me and she just said, "Is this like, are these commercials?" Like we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe that like one she thought this was so funny. And she thought it was funny enough to bring us to her house just to show us this. And then, like, my mind flashed to, the, to that friend being like, well, you know she's a huge ditz, right? And I was like, no, you know she's not. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. But that was, that was what was so amazing about this girl. And I don't know her very well. But what was so amazing about her is, like, what a pure vision of the world. That, like, she just saw these commercials somewhere. She like saved them or bookmarked them on her computer and just watches them and laughs. And it makes no difference to her at all that she's laughing at a commercial. Because here's the thing, even if a commercial is genuinely funny, I'm not going to laugh out of it. I'm, I'm not going to laugh at it out of principle. Like I refuse to be entertained by a commercial out of principle. And I don't think I would anyway. I just refuse to laugh at a commercial. And I mean, you notice that about people, though, like if you go to the movies, if you go to the movies, have you ever been to the movies? But if you go to a movie theater and they're showing ads beforehand, and I don't remember that, like at some point they started doing that because it used to be, they always show previews, but at some point when you go to the movies, they would actually just show you commercials before, but they would show these commercials and sometimes they were tailored for moviegoers. Sometimes they were like movie adjacent or, or related to entertainment. But I noticed that in the movie theater where they'd show commercials even before the previews start. Because that, that was kind of a development where it's like at some point, like just the previews starting became exciting. Because you're having to endure this cycle of ads before that. And then so when the lights dim for the previews, you're like, oh, God, yes. Oh, yes. The previews commercials for movies are better than these freaking ads that they've been showing for the last half hour. But there's always like people and it's often women who laugh at those. Like you'll be in a theater full of people and there's always some like middle-aged woman who cackles at a commercial in the theater. You're like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, you're like, whoa, I can't do that out of principle doesn't make me better or worse than anybody. I just can't do it. It's a gut feeling that just says, you cannot laugh at that. So this girl, this sort of acquaintance of mine showing us these commercials, actually asking us to go to her house just to watch these. I was like, she just lives, a, she exists in a state of purity. And she's not stupid. Like I, I hung out with her enough to know she's not a stupid person. But she just has this pure vision of the world where it, it made no difference to her that this was a commercial. But at some point, commercials decided, like, we're going to try to be clever and funny all the time. But it's never going to actually be clever or funny. Like, it's always kind of catching up. And, you know, and speaking of, like, 
advertising camouflaging itself, another thing that I've noticed with internet advertisements is they're able to catch up much quicker. Because it used to be that if you're watching TV commercials, they might use slang that is like two or three years out of date or more. Like by the time a commercial got like like in years past, like in the 90s and early 2000s, pretty much up until the last five, 10 years, up until social media took over and production got faster, it used to be that you would be watching commercials and it would be like riffing on an idea that was popular five years earlier or at least a few years. Because it was like it took so much time to script a commercial, to cast it, to shoot it, and then put it into production and have it approved and finalized that by the time you're actually seeing the advertisement or commercial, it's going to be years out of date. But with everything happening so quickly now and everything being digital, you'll see that commercials use new slang. They reference things that were much more recent because they're able to make it happen that much quicker. And you notice this with the, the text, like I've noticed this with internet advertisements where you'll be like a Burger King ad will pop up and they're using slang that just became popular or it's, it's kind of, it's just past its prime, but it was, people were still using it up until recently. And I've noticed this too, where they use all lowercase with no punctuation, like a McDonald's ad will pop up and the text is all lowercase with no punctuation because that's how people talk now. That's how people type. That's how they text. It's all lowercase with no punctuation. They'll use the sorts of emojis that people use. One that I saw happen was, you know, fire. Oh, dude, that's fire. So like a McDonald's ad would pop up and be like, oh, dude, the new Big Mac is fire and with a fire emoji. And in the past, that would have taken like five years to happen. But now it took like a year or less. It took like six months for Burger King or McDonald's to start saying things are fire. And the other way that ads try to camouflage themselves, like, you know, and this is just true of, of classic radio, but it's interesting to see it infect podcasts where, you know, podcasts have sponsors and they get the host, especially if the host is a comedian, to recommend the product in a funny way as if they actually like it. Like, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about my undies. Me undies. You know, I actually like these. See, the, the reason I like these, and that's that chameleon sort of effect. It's like, you can't just say, hey, our show is brought to you by me undies. They sell this. It's the best. Instead, it's like, you know, I use this product. And I actually have to tell you, you know... It, it, and they'll even say things like, you know, I know that you're supposed to say this. You know, I know you're supposed to recommend, you know, what your advertisers are. are, are and I, I know that I'm sponsored by them. But no, I actually do really like this. I actually really do use this company's meal plans. And they'll even bring their producer into it. They'll be like, oh, you know, Joe here, uh, Joey over here, my producer, you know, Joey, does, isn't that, aren't those meal plans awesome? Like they'll bring you fish and, and steak and it comes with recipes, you know, it hasn't that been actually really good? And they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's funny how that's that, it's a form of camouflage where it's like, they're acting like it's real. They're acting like it's a part of things. And I can't enjoy that even on principle. Like I'm okay with them doing it, make the money. 
You know, take the money from those companies who want to pay you to do this. I don't hold it against people, but I can't enjoy it. But I have seen where podcast fans will be like, oh, I love the ad reads. Oh, he does the ad. He's so good at it. It's so funny. It's so funny to hear this comedian do the ad reads. Whereas, you know, there's no way to make it okay for me. There's no way to make it tolerable for me. But the idea is to make it seem like it's a part of things. But still, it's always keeping up. And it's always just, or it's always trying to keep up, but it's always just a few steps behind. Even in the digital age, advertising, marketing, it's always a few steps behind. It can never be truly organic. It, it can never be truly current because it's not authentic. It's not real. So as a result, it'll always be trying to mimic something that's real. It's almost like if somebody's um, playing some sort of mime game where a person does a mannerism and then a person tries to mirror them. How, no matter how good somebody is, they're always gonna, there's always going to be a slight delay. Like somebody does a gesture, and even if you're a really good mime, there's always going to be a slight delay. That's kind of what it's like, where it's like, no matter how... You know, because the thing is now, it's like a lot of people who are working for... A lot of people who have marketing jobs, especially online... They're very current themselves. This is no longer some out-of-touch old guy whose claim to fame is that he's a marketing executive. Oh, oh you know, I, I was responsible for this campaign 20 years ago. You now have people, and, and old people are doing this too, where old people are looking at the same things as young people. But I think there's a lot, of, a lot more young people involved in this where, like, the person who's coming up with Burger King's social media ads... They're online themselves. They're online all the time themselves. They know what people are saying. They know how people are expressing themselves. And I thought it was very interesting when I started to notice that these companies were using all lowercase without punctuation because some sort of poll came out a couple years ago that said, like, Generation Zomer, Generation Zome says that they they feel put off when somebody uses periods. If somebody ends their text message in a period, they feel like it has too serious of a tone. This is something that actually came out. I understand it. Like if you message a friend a question, if you send a text message to a friend with a question and they respond with yes, with a period at the end, or yeah, period, you kind of read that and you kind of go, huh, that's firm. That's pretty firm. So that's what that is. But there's a whole generation of people who are even more sensitive to that. And so it's not surprising that marketing and advertising is aware of that. But, another, you know, speaking of like ad reads on podcasts, another thing you see is I'll see promoted content online and it'll have somebody's real social media account, like a celebrity's account. And they'll be like, oh, my God, I love Blue Gatorade. Oh, today rules because I bought a Blue Gatorade. And it's obviously promoted content. You know, it's obviously a sponsor of theirs. But the idea is to make it seem real. And sure, there are some people out there who love Blue Gatorade. I mean, anybody who listens to this show know how much I talk about Bang Energy Drink. And right now, if you go to bangenergydrink.com and you type in uh, 
code every night's a school night. You and me both get a deal. You get 20% off and I get a commission. I wish. I would take that in a heartbeat. Although what's creepy is when somebody you know is trying to sell you something, almost like a Tupperware lady, almost like an Avon makeup lady or something. Because I have a friend, he's an old friend of mine, and a great guy, which is always my preface for talking shit. Great guy. No, but he's, he's a great guy. But he had some sort of membership with a, a clothing outfitter a while back. And he was trying to get me to buy something through it. Because I think he got a deal or something. Like it was probably, it's some sort of referral thing. Like where if somebody buys something from this clothing outfitter online and you type in their code, he probably gets a discount or something like that. But he was like, well, if you ever want to buy this, like, uh, you know, I, I, I have, a, I, I recently got a membership with them and, you know, they have this, this, and this. And I was like, I don't need that. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I'm not in the market for that. I don't, I'm not looking for hiking boots. And then he kind of tried to push it, which is so funny. He tried to push it a little bit where he was like, yeah, but you know, this stuff is really good. And you know, you, you might need it, you know, in, in, you know, three months and you know, we could go do this. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not looking for hiking boots. I'm not looking for any of that. I'm not looking to spend any money on anything right now. <laughs> it was because it wasn't like we were having a conversation where I was like, oh yeah, you, you know what? I'm looking for hiking boots. Hey, you know what? I'm looking for a North Face jacket. It'd be one thing if I brought it up. Like if I was like, hey, you know, I think I might go buy a North Face jacket. I think I might go buy some hiking boots. And he was like, oh, well, I have this membership with this and you get a discount and I get a deal. He just brought it up kind of out of nowhere. And then he kind of kept pushing it like he was trying to sell me Tupperware. And I just I just had to be like, I, I, I'm not looking for that. At no point in this conversation did I ever say that I'm looking for that. That's always weird when somebody you know starts doing that to you. It's like, don't you realize that I'm actually not looking for that? I express no level of interest in purchasing anything like that. I don't need it. And that's the funny thing about this stuff. You know, especially getting into the idea of representation. You know, I was talking a while back about the fat mannequins at Target how a year or two ago I went to Target and I noticed that I had heard rumors. I had heard about the arrival of fat mannequins into our society. I wasn't opposed to it. I, who am I to oppose it? Who am I to say there shouldn't be fat mannequins? Fat mannequins. Who am I to say there shouldn't be something like that? But I was surprised because I hadn't been to Target in a while. And at least at my local Target, like some overwhelming number of the mannequins were fat. Most of the mannequins that I saw were fat, and I was shocked because I was like, oh, yeah, they can't stop themselves now. You can't stop this. Like in that meeting of managers at Target, you can't be the person who says, we have enough fat mannequins on the floor. Let the fat mannequins hit the floor. You can't be that person. It's like, it's like being the first person to stop clapping. There was that Vice documentary about North Korea where Kim Jong-il died. And it showed this footage of all these North Korean people on their hands and knees screaming and crying in front of a statue of Kim Jong-il because he had just died. 
Except they weren't really screaming and crying. It was all fucking fake. And I don't blame them because the thing is, the first person to stop screaming and crying is going to be suspicious. Somebody's going to keep tabs on them. They're going to report them. Hey, I, I couldn't help but notice that Kim... I guess I'm talking about Kim Jong-il, but there's a lot of people named Kim there. I couldn't help but notice that he, you know, he was the first person to stop screaming and crying in front of the statue. He was the first person to stop clapping after the dictator's speech. Like when there's a, a round of applause, like when people stand up and applaud somebody. Somebody has to be the first person to stop. But when there's some sort of like social impetus, when it's when it's about more than just acknowledging something good, when there's this pressure to do it, the first person to stop cla clapping becomes suspect. It's like when you hear about Soviet Russia, the first person, like after the dictator's speech, the first person to stop cheering is suspect. Oh, you must not be as passionate about the dictator. You must not be as passionate about Joseph Stalin as we are, because I couldn't help but notice, and people do notice, when they're in that set of circumstances, you notice what everybody else is doing. You're ultra self-conscious and you're ultra conscious of other people. I couldn't help but notice that you know you were the first person to slow your clap and stop clapping. It's the same thing in these meetings where it's like, eh, I think we, you know, I think we have enough fat mannequins on the floor. You become suspect in that situation. Oh, so you have a problem with fat mannequins. You have a problem with fat people. No, I just couldn't help but notice that 75% of our mannequins on the floor are fat now. I think that's a little bit much. Oh, is it? Oh, is it, huh? But when, when things become pathological like that, who puts the brakes on? You can't put the brakes on without being suspicious in some way. I'm fine with fat mannequins. But when most of the mannequins on the floor are fat, how do you stop that from continuing? <laughs> how do you stop that process? And that's sort of a, you know our society in a nutshell right now. It's like with the diversity mandates in entertainment. You know, you say, oh yeah, you know, maybe it's a little bit much that a movie came out where Anne Boleyn is played by a black woman the same month that Macbeth is played by a black man. Maybe it's a bit much that every single movie has to be this way. Oh, so you got a problem with black people in lead roles. Oh, so you got a problem with, oh, I can't help but notice that you're, you're, you were the first person to stop clapping. But when society gets into this, when it, when it builds up into this pathological momentum where it's like, this is the rule. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't help but notice that, that you noticed that TV commercials often rely on a punchline where a white man is humiliated by non-white people or women or some combination. I couldn't help but notice that you noticed that. How do you pump the brakes on that without making people target you as if, as if your issue with it is some different form of pathology rather than just saying, hey, this is very forced. 
and might actually have a net negative result. It certainly makes quality suffer. You know, I think about a meeting at a, a job I had where our clients had paid memberships and they would build an online profile to market themselves. And we had a meeting about it. And a young woman who, honestly, this wasn't like her at all, which is why it stuck out to me. Out of everybody that worked there, she was like one of the least concerned with these types of things, which actually kind of speaks more. Like that actually speaks volumes that she, the, the most unlikely person said this. But when people would make these accounts, they would pay for their membership and then they would have a profile to make. And like every website that has a profile, you have a generic image before you upload your profile photo. And the generic image was exactly what you imagine it was. It was a vector silhouette of a humanoid person, like a bald humanoid with no decoration, no features, as sexless and generic as you can possibly imagine. Just a silhouette of a human being, a humanoid shape. But this coworker of mine in the meeting said, you know, I think that it's a little too masculine. I think that I think that the the generic blank upload your profile template is a little too masculine. But there's nothing you could do to make it less masculine without making it overtly feminine. Like there's nothing you could do. I understand that it's bald. Because it's bald, you're going to tend to associate more associate it more with a man. But what are you going to do? If you give it short hair, it's going to look more like a man. If you give it the silhouette of long hair, people are going to think it's a woman. So there's nothing you can do to make it more of a generic humanoid shape. It might as well be an alien. We all know what I'm talking about. Just a generic template. And nobody who logs in is going to look at that and say, huh, you know, I just paid for my membership and I'm creating my profile. I think that this generic template is a little too masculine. No, the only thing they're going to be thinking about is, oh, I better upload my own photo because I, after all, I am trying to market me. But what was interesting about it is just that this person thought about that at all. And it was somebody who you wouldn't expect to say that. And this is like 2016, but it was someone you wouldn't expect to suggest that. And a couple of us said something. We were like, you know, I don't, I, I, but the problem is, is that like we're being paid to be there. That took time, that took money. And this girl, like the young woman, like she, she's the type of person where like she runs a side business where she deals with like Trumpsfeld supporters and like she's really non-judgmental politically. She's not hyper politically conscious. She's not as consumed by all these social issues. So it was that much more telling that she felt the need to say that because it's, there's an expectation to suggest that. But that ate up time. And actually, you know, I'm not going to say that really that example really took much away from what we were doing. But there's so many meetings and discussions that are like that. And it takes away from the quality. Like when you take the time to be like, how can we make this? How can we politicize this? How can we make this more socially conscious? You actually take away from the overall quality of what you're doing. But then we're at this point where, you know, the example I used recently was when they did make this Anne Boleyn movie where Anne Boleyn is played by a black woman. I read that review of it on IndieWire, IndieWar, IndieWire, 
IndieWare? IndieWire. I read this review of it where a young woman on IndieWire reviewed it, and she said it sucked. She was like, it's really not good. But the cast, it was an excellent casting decision to, to have the black woman. And she didn't say it was because she was black, but you could tell she was kind of a hostage. You could tell that, like, even though she said the show sucked, in more words, she couldn't say anything negative about the woman who played Anne Boleyn. She said she's the most regal portrayal of Anne Boleyn she's seen. Maybe the woman did a great job. You know, I'm not even trying to take anything away from the actress who played Anne Boleyn. I haven't seen it. But you can read between the lines and tell what's going on, where it's like, she was bashing this, but she couldn't be the first one to stop clapping. Because it was such a bold move to have a black woman play Anne Boleyn, completely ahistorical. This is a period piece about real British history. Where you have a woman who looks nothing like Anne Boleyn playing Anne Boleyn. So it's completely ahistorical. It's a very bold decision for sure, and that's what they want. They want people to talk about that. They probably want me to be talking about it. But what was interesting is in this review, the girl couldn't just say the whole thing sucked. She couldn't just say it sucks. She had to say it sucks, but great casting decision on Anne Boleyn. Because she couldn't be the first person to stop applauding that. She couldn't be the person at Target who says, hey, maybe we have enough fat mannequins on the floor. Maybe we have enough fat mannequins out there because people are going to say, oh, huh. Huh, it's interesting that you have a problem with the number of fat mannequins out there. Oh, it's interesting that, oh, you didn't like the Anne Boleyn movie. It's interesting that you, you didn't like the Anne Boleyn movie where she's played by a black woman. Can't help but notice that. You know, that's what people are afraid of. That's what people are hostage to. But like I said about that before, like, who's the audience for that? It's not like there were huge numbers of black people out there who were like, oh, you know, I really want to enjoy the story of Anne Boleyn and King Henry VIII, but I just can't get into it because I don't feel represented. Oh, I really wish I could enjoy a period piece about the brutal British monarchy. But, you know, I can't get into it because Anne Boleyn isn't black. Like, black people don't watch those movies and say that. I guarantee you, there were few, if any, black people out there saying, like, oh, I can't get into that. Same with, like, the, the other example I used where they, they remade A Christmas Carol a couple years ago, and they made Bob Cratchit's wife black. Yeah, it's a fantasy story in theory, but it's also a period piece. It's Victorian England. And I guarantee you there weren't droves of black people out there who were like, hey, you know what? Like, I sure wish that I was represented in A Christmas Carol. Because the audience is not black people when they're doing that. The audience is white people who feel good when they see that. Oh, look, it's, I can check that box off. And I feel the same way about fat mannequins. Because back when I was a fat boy for 20 years, I never once cared what mannequins looked like. I knew that mannequins were in better shape than I was. But I never looked at mannequins and thought, I guess I can't buy those clothes. 
I didn't go to the Bon Marche and say, oh, I guess I can't buy those clothes because the, the mannequin's in great shape and I'm fat. I never once thought that. If I liked the clothes, I would just I would go through the rack and look for something in my size. But it didn't make any difference to me whether I felt represented by the mannequin. Fat mannequins aren't for fat people. Fat mannequins are for people who aren't fat to feel good about themselves. Hey, look, we're doing something good. But really, they're trying to sell you something. The idea isn't to make fat people feel better. The idea is that maybe if we make the mannequins fat, they'll want to give us money for stuff they don't really need that's probably overpriced. Same thing with a lot of these diversity quotas, especially in advertising and movies. It's pandering to certain people, but once again, the audience isn't even those people. The audience is often other people who want to feel good about themselves. People who aren't that identity, who don't identify with that, just want to feel good about themselves. But even if you look at it from, hey, maybe we can sell this to that type of person. Is being represented such a good thing? Is being represented in advertising such a good thing? I understand if not being represented goes hand in hand with some kind of marginalization. I understand if you're oppressed, how not being represented at all might feel kind of shitty. But that's not where things are at right now. Things are so pathological, they're so far gone, and nobody has hit the brakes. And the motive isn't an organic and genuine one. In the same way that when I see an advertisement, when I see a commercial that's trying to be funny, I refuse to laugh at it. Because it's offensive to me that it thinks it can sell its product to me with some stupid, clever joke that's not even funny. Or when I'm scrolling through social media and I see a, a paid promote, promoted post, I refuse to look at it at a principle once I realize what it is. Because on a gut level, you know, it makes my stomach clench up. It makes my skin crawl to see it. I feel the same way anytime I'm being pandered to also. Like if advertising is trying to pander to me, I don't go, oh, gee, I feel represented. That makes me want to buy that. I think that's offensive that you think you can pander to me in that way in order to get my money. And there's a good chance it's something I don't need too. And it also allows these people to give themselves a pat on the back. Oh, hey, look, we're launching fat mannequins. Aren't we great? Don't we deserve some kind of award for launching a fat mannequin line? Because what fat people are out there and they're like, oh, God, I, feel, I finally feel represented. Because, yeah, we have a fat population. Maybe it's actually a better representation of our population that we have a lot of fat mannequins. Maybe it's more accurate. Is that what we want, though? I mean, I've even seen where there's some examples of fat superheroes now. Not a ton of them. But there have been a couple comics that have gotten launched where they have a fat superhero. I mean, as a fat as a fat boy, one word, fat boy, as a fat boy growing up, I loved superheroes. But I never wanted to see a fat superhero. 
It wasn't all about, like, my ego wasn't so invested in it that I was like, that's me. Like, I didn't read Batman and go, that's me. Yeah, kids like to act that out. They have to pretend to be Batman. But it didn't stop me from doing that. Like, if I wanted to LARP with my friends and pretend to be superheroes, I didn't say, oh, I guess I can't pretend to be Batman because I'm too fat. I just did it. And then when I read the comic books or watched the cartoon or saw the movie, I liked that he was in shape because that's what we want from a superhero. I didn't sit there thinking like, gee, I sure wish that the superhero was a fat fucking slob. But once again, who's it for? Is it for the fat people? Probably not. Do fat people actually want superheroes to be fat? It's kind of insulting that they think that that would appeal to us. That our egos are so fragile. That if the character doesn't look like us, we feel demeaned. I mean, you think about being bald. As a balding man, as a, as a future bald man, not to be confused with the Baldwin, thank goodness. But as a future bald man... It doesn't bother me one bit that like there are very few bald men in chick flicks. Oh, you know what sucks? There's all these chick flicks out there. There's all these chick flicks out there, but you never see bald guys. You never see girls fall in love with bald guys. You never see girls fall in love with bald guys. You never see girls fall in love with bald guys. You never see girls fall in love with bald guys. You never see girls fall in love with bald guys. You never see girls fall in love with bald guys in chick flicks. You know. The, it's just not even a concern. I have the gift of life. <laughs> you know? We don't need to see that. If your ego is so fragile that you're sitting there and you're like, I'm a bald man. And I'm so freaking hurt by the fact that there's no chick flicks where the girl falls in love with the bald guy. You're insane. You have much bigger problems than that. Like your problems are so massive and you are in such denial about what your real problems are if you're thinking that way. Same thing if you're buying clothes at Target and you're like, oh God, I, re I really need some clothes, but I just, I feel so shattered by the fact that all the mannequins are in great shape and I'm fat. You're denying your real problems if you're concerned with that. But you know what? I don't know very many fat people in my life who would actually give a shit about that. Because again, it's not even about fat people. It's part of this much larger pathology. Just like Black Anne Boleyn isn't actually about appealing to black people. There are things that real black people want from our society, from entertainment. I don't think it's wanting Anne Boleyn to be black. The same month that Macbeth is black. The same month that XYZ, ABCD, every single show is doing that same thing. I just don't think that's the case. So who's it for? Well, we, I don't even think we know. I think, as they say, they've lost the plot. It's so far gone. They are so far gone. I don't even know if they know what they're selling anymore.
And the quality suffers, just like that meeting I was talking about where a girl took the time to be like, hey, the generic vector humanoid shadow shape that says upload profile photo here, it might look a little too masculine. Even though it's the most generic, sexless, androgynous shape you could possibly imagine, we had to take the time to discuss that for a few minutes. And that's probably a light example. We could have been discussing something that could have actually improved our system. We could have been discussing something that would have actually improved the user experience. That would have actually probably helped our company. Probably not. I don't think this meeting was going to really do much either way. But that's just one little example. That's tiny. There are much bigger decisions that get made. And you think about with all the attention that goes on to these superficial decisions that they're making, these casting decisions, these plot decisions to work in storylines that pander in similar ways. There's so much focus on that that quality is lost, and there's a reason why everything sucks now. It's not just because of that, but there's so much focus on these superficial... It's, it, there's so much focus on superficial pandering. You see it with video games. Every once in a while, I'll stumble upon an article, and they're like, we've decided to make a new video game with a strong female lead. You know, I've mentioned before how I haven't played it in a while, but how I don't play video games anymore. But my version of a video game is I go to that website, Steam. I go to the Steam Workshop, as they call it, and I look at video games. I just look at what video games have come out. And that's a video game. That's my video game. My video game is the one where like once every six months I go to this video game site and I look at what new video games are out. That's my video game. But uh, one of the categories, like one of the genre tags is female lead. And it's so funny to me. And you see it too in the way that video games are marketed now where they'll be like, we're coming out with a new video game with a strong female lead. It's revolutionary. Because the, the genre is so male-centric that we're coming out with a strong female lead. You ever heard of Final Fantasy VI? My all-time favorite game. Like, it came out when I was a kid. And I was a macho kid. I loved football. I loved guns and weapons. I loved drawing superheroes covered in blood. I was into macho music, rock, and metal. I like pro wrestling. Pretty much every... I loved action movies. Everything I was into as a kid was macho in some way. But you know what? Final Fantasy VI came out and I played it and I, I loved it. It's my favorite video game ever. It was called Final Fantasy III at the time because they changed the name of it for America. But in reality, in Japan, it was Final Fantasy VI. But I loved that game. And you know what? It's, it's not just one female lead. It's two. The game is split into two. The first half of the game, the main character is one woman. The second half of the game, it's another woman. I never once thought about it. Even though everything I was into was very masculine and macho, the story and the gameplay was so good that I never once sat there and had to reconcile that. I never sat down while I was playing Final Fantasy III and said to myself, Oh, you know what? I don't know. I, I, this is a really good game, but I, I'm feeling kind of gay. 
I'm feeling kind of gay because I'm playing not just as one female lead, I'm playing as two. I'm feeling kind of gay. I never once thought that because it was so dang good. I knew other people who loved it too, and even my nerdy friends. Even my friends who were nerds, who were way more into video games and everything, they loved it too, but they were nerds who liked masculine stuff. They were generally into, like, knights with swords and shoot 'em up games. But you know what? They played Final Fantasy VI, a.k.a. three, and they loved it. And they never, we never once had a conversation where it was like, oh, I don't know, so you really like that game, huh? Well, that, you might be kind of gay. We never once had that conversation. Because it was just such a good game. Super Metroid. I never played Super Metroid, but it was all over magazines. It was a huge deal that it was a woman. But nobody cared. I didn't know a single person who played video games growing up who was like, yeah, you know, Super Metroid's great, but it sucks that it's a woman, doesn't it? Nobody thought that. They were just like, it's a classic game and it's good. Oh, isn't that interesting or cool that, it's, that, that Metroid is a woman? Laura Croft. Yeah, she had big knockers. She had double DDs. Big old double DDs. It's kind of cool that she was hot. But people liked Tomb Raider also because it was just a good game. And it's not like boys playing the game were just like, I'm only playing this because Laura Croft has double DDs. It might have been an added bonus, but it really wasn't the draw. And you'll hear that about these about video games. You'll hear that criticism of like, oh, well, women are only represented in video games and they got double DDs. Well, yeah, men are often depicted in video games when they're muscular and handsome. Men don't have a problem with that. Men actually like it in the same way that I liked superheroes to be buff. If I'm playing a video game and the main character is muscular and, you know, like a leading man type... I'm not sitting there feeling upset about it because I don't look like that. And you know what? Like, knowing girls who were into video games, I've never known them. Like, the girls I knew who were gamers in high school, I knew them. I was friends with girls who were into video games and stuff in high school. I never remember them being put off at all about hot girls in video games. They seemed to enjoy it. They seemed to like the idea that they could play as a hot girl. Because it's fantasy. It's not all about you. It's not all about your ego. But that's the narcissism that we're living in. The idea that you have to perfectly identify. You have to be perfectly represented all the time. And then it's manufactured too. Like when a new video game comes out and they're like, strong female lead, strong female lead. It's revolutionary. It's, it's this short-term memory where it's like, what about Final Fantasy? What about Metroid? What about Laura Croft? Yeah, that, those might be in the minority. But it's not like people shunned those. People love those things. And the reason why there aren't a lot of fat characters in games is because most games are about doing something active. Like Laura Croft jumping off of cliffs and swinging from ropes while shooting her guns. A fat person can't do that. Laura Croft is 
in shape for a reason, because she does in shape people things. It should be obvious, right? But, uh, you know, promoting all this stuff, you know, it requires a certain amount of blindness. It requires a very short memory. It requires, honestly, ignorance. You have to ignore a lot in order to get hyped up on this stuff. And uh, I don't know, it's just how it is. It's just how it is. But then when they do make a conscious decision to pander to a certain audience, it doesn't even seem to be for that audience. It doesn't even seem to be based on what that audience wants. Hey, let's poll some fat people and ask them what kind of characters they want to see. How many of them would truly say, I want the knight to be really, really fat? I want the knight to be morbidly obese. How many people would want that? Seems like a lot of them would want the opposite. Because I can tell you I did when I was a fat boy. Not because I hated myself, simply because it just doesn't make sense. But who's going to be the first person to stop clapping? Because when you do say something, when somebody does say something, they get accused of being the worst possible version of that. If you were to say, hey, you know, maybe we don't really need fat superheroes. Oh, so you hate fat people, huh? Hey, you know, there's something very um, dishonest and ignorant when you act like every time a video game has a strong female lead today, that it's some act of revolution. Oh, so you hate women. You don't think women should be strong female leads, huh? You know. It's just you get accused of being the worst possible version of something when you stop clapping or you say anything when you dissent at all. I can't believe you even care. I can't believe you even notice. I can't believe you even recognize these patterns that are playing out. That's a funny thing, you know, people... You know, I don't use the word gaslight. And it's funny to, to watch the evolution or the degeneration, the de-evolution of the word gaslight. Because it's, it's a classic example of the buzzwords I talk about, the catchphrases and buzzwords where that idea became popular. The term gaslight became popular because women felt that men do that to them. Women felt that men do things that make them go crazy and then deny that they're doing that. It comes from some old movie. But that's something that human beings do to each other all the time. I'm sure men do that to women. I'm sure that men do that to women. They do things that make them feel crazy and then act like they didn't do anything. And they do that to control them. That's something that human beings do to each other. Your government does it to you. The corporate media does that to you. Men do that to men. Your boss does that to you, no matter who you are. 
No matter who you are, your boss quote-unquote gaslights you. I'm not doing anything to make your life tougher. What do you mean? Oh, it's kind of weird that, you know, your morale has dropped. I had a boss do that to me. Men do that to each other all the time. Every institution does that to the people, one way or another. It's kind of like what I've said about mansplaining, where I believe that men do something to women where they patronizingly explain things that don't need to be explained and talk to them like they're ignorant. And, you know, I believe that men talk to women sometimes like they are ignorant children. Even when a woman has a certain amount of expertise in something, I know that men talk down to them and act like they know more. Have you ever seen how men talk to each other? Have you ever been a man in a conversation with other men? Men, quote-unquote, mansplain to each other all the freaking time. I don't know where people got this idea that men just treat each other with respect, like equals all the time. Men are constantly explaining things to each other as if the other person is an idiot. They are constantly talking down to each other. There isn't some brotherhood between men. You think that men have some secret club where they get together and they're like, we're going to talk as total equals. Men are constantly jabbing each other. They're constantly trying to get over each other. They're constantly talking to each other like the other person's an idiot. They're constantly trying to explain things that don't need to be explained. The exact way that mansplaining has been described by women is something that men simply do all the time. It's something that people do to each other all the time. Men do do that to women. Men do that to each other. Same thing with gaslighting, where that's something that human beings simply do to each other. Especially when there's a power deferential. But you know, it's not just that your boss will gaslight you. Employees gaslight their boss all the time. Are you kidding me? Employees gaslight their boss all the time. But, you know, it's funny because, like, that's the problem with these buzzwords and catchphrases is that remember when we just called that lying? Remember, inst instead of calling everything gaslighting, remember when we just called it lying? Lying to each other about something? I'm not fucking with you. I didn't do that. I didn't flush that down the toilet. I don't know why the toilet got clogged. Your boss gives an announcement. Employees need to stop uh, flushing paper towels down the toilets. Somebody does it. The boss is like, somebody flushed paper towels down the toilets. Who did it? Nobody's going to come forward, and if somebody's confronted, they're going to deny it. They're going to gaslight their boss. But remember when we just called that lying? That's the problem with these catchphrases and buzzwords is they end up replacing the basic idea. It's like what I said about cringe. Oh, that's so cringeworthy, dude. Oh, dude, that's cringe, man. Remember when we just called that embarrassing? Remember just the idea of embarrassment and humiliation? I understand words change and we come up with new words for things, but still, 
whenever there's this new word for something, it ends up obscuring the actual, the original idea where it's like gaslighting, you mean lying? There might be a highly specific situation where using a, a term like gaslighting makes sense, but for the most part, people use it just to refer to lying. And the problem with that, too, is you hear it more often now. Like, gaslighting is an idea that, that it kind of started with feminists and the left to describe an experience that they felt they had with men, where men talk down to them and explain things that don't need to be explained, where they behave patronizingly. But you see a lot now where conservatives use it. Because this happens a lot. This is like this is why you should be very careful when you introduce a concept into a public conversation. Because you see this all the time, where conservatives now obnoxiously will go, "Well, the left is the one. They're the ones gaslighting us." Oh my God, the left was always complaining about gaslighting, and look at they're gaslighting us. We're the ones being gaslighted. It's like fake news, where fake news was originally used by the left. Hillary Clinton, it was when Trumpsfeld, like, if you remember, like, the first month that Trumpsfeld got elected, fake news was a leftist phrase. It was a Democrat phrase. Fake news is what they were, they were referring to, like, this Russian disinformation. They were like, oh, Russian disinformation bots spread fake news, and that's how Trumpsfeld got elected. That was what Democrats were saying. That's where that phrase comes from, if you actually have a memory. But you know what? Trumpsfeld said, hey, you know what? I'm going to turn that back around on them. And I bet there's a lot of people who think that he came up with it. They're like, oh, that's just some stupid Trumpsfeld thing. No, Trumpsfeld took that from Hillary Clinton supporters. But that's what happens when you introduce a phrase into the public conversation. You start calling things fake news. Well, your enemy is going to go, oh, hey, I can use that too. And your enemy might actually use it way more and take ownership of it. Same thing with gaslighting, where it's like now conservatives are constantly to the point where I'm just like, God, shut the fuck up. I see it all the time. I see conservative pundits all the time say, they're gaslighting us now. And I'm like, don't use it at all. Don't use it. It's funny, though. You got to laugh. Sorry. But uh, we lose language, you know, and that's what happens too when we, when we come up with a catchphrase or a buzzword, and I've talked about this before, this sort of accordion effect of buzzwords and catchphrases where the reason why a buzzword or a catchphrase becomes so popular is because it simplifies an idea that takes a paragraph to explain. Normally, you'd be like, hey, there's this phenomenon where men talk down to women in a very patronizing way without actually listening to the woman. And they'll explain something that she actually knows something about and act like she doesn't because men see women as infantile children who know nothing. That's called mansplaining. Oh, yeah, that's a word for it. That's a thing. Oh, that's a thing. So then people are like, oh, I have a word to use uh, that simplifies, it distills that idea down into one word so that I don't have to write an essay every, every time I want to talk about that phenomenon. 
But then people start just using that buzzword. They start just using mansplaining. Every time a man says something that they don't like, every time you have an awkward conversation with a man, you say, oh, I just got mansplained too. Pretty soon, and, and the idea is so attractive and exciting because now you have a word for it. I have a new thing I can use. It's like learning a new chord on guitar. I better use it now. I better find, you end up ruining a good song because you're like, I better use that new chord that I have. I better use that new word. So you, you start looking for opportunities to use it. So the definition actually becomes blown out to where the definition of that buzzword becomes way, it, it gets stretched out and it no longer has its meaning. It's the accordion effect where it's like you push the accordion in, you simplify the idea and you have one word to describe it. And then you, but then you have to pull it back out again if you want it to be relevant. But the problem with buzzwords and catchphrases is they quickly lose their relevance. But it's like you, you simplify ideas down to one word, but then you have to pull the accordion back out and explain it again and define it again. Otherwise, it loses its definition. And you start using it just as a catchphrase for every interaction you have with somebody you don't like. And we all do it. You start noticing it. But we've strayed from the topic of advertising. Just a, uh, a run-of-the-mill culture war episode here. But it's difficult not to get into that. Who's going to be the first to stop clapping? You know, there's plenty of people who never clap to begin with. And people know when you're not clapping. You know, people know when you're not applauding. But if you've been applauding, you put yourself in a precarious position too. Because chances are your entire social infrastructure is based on that. Like if all of your friends are applauding something, it makes it that much more difficult to be the person who stops applauding. It's a lot easier to be the person who never applauded at all. I can't imagine what it would be like to be somebody right now who's disconcerted with something that's going on, but feels like you can't actually do anything about it because you've been applauding it. That's got to be very difficult to do. I'm bothered by things, but fortunately most of the things I'm bothered by are things that I never supported to begin with. So it's not like I have to, it's not like there's any identity crisis. I'm not like, who am I? God, I loved, I, I, was, I went to the, the party celebrating the first fat mannequin they put in Target. We had the grand opening of Fat Mannequin Target. And I was up on stage hooting and hollering. But you know what? I think we have too many fat mannequins now. And I, I don't even know what to, I don't even. My identity is partially based on the fact that I applauded the fat mannequins. So I'm having this inner struggle over the fact that now I think we have too many. But I don't want to be the first one to stop clapping. 
You're crazy. Oh my God, you, you sound insane. Who isn't? Who isn't insane in some way right now? I know people who I feel... <laughs> Here's the thing. It's like I have friends and I feel like we're on the same page. But I think we're all insane in the same way. So I think that's what it comes down to, is just finding people who are insane in the same way that you are. Because I don't think, I don't think very many of us have much sanity going for us right now. I don't think we have that much rationality in our favor right now. I mean, while I'm just on the, the culture war stuff, I mentioned like a month or two ago how last summer Disney made an announcement that they're no longer going to be calling Boba Fett's ship the Slave One. Or they didn't make an announcement. Like what they did is I think they released like a new Boba Fett toy. The things I pay attention to, man. I told you I'm insane. But uh, Disney released a new Boba Fett toy and the name of his ship had been changed because his ship was always the Slave One. Boba Fett's ship was always the Slave One, but they released a new toy where it wasn't called the Slave One, and we all know why. We all know why Disney suddenly changed the names that doesn't have the word Slave in it. But they just made an announcement that they officially changed it. They did a soft change where they just released a new toy without the name, but Disney made an official announcement that Boba Fett's ship is no longer called the Slave One. And that's just pathological. The fictional Star Wars universe has slavery. Back in the day when I used to read expanded universe novels about Star Wars, there are stories that, I mean, the, the backstory of Chewbacca is that he was a slave who Han Solo freed. So Chewbacca is indebted to him. Wookiees have a debt where if you if you save a Wookiee's life, he's indebted to you. That was the backstory. Star Wars has slavery. For whatever reason, Boba Fett, who we have to remember was a bad guy. I think they've kind of retconned. I don't know. I haven't kept up, but Boba Fett was originally a, a bad guy. And his ship was called the Slave One, for whatever reason. It doesn't even need a context. Who knows why it was called the Slave One? It's a cool name for a ship. That's a cool name for a bad guy's ship, Slave One. But we live in this world now where, like, even the word slave in a fictional universe is too much. It's too much to bear. Slavery is part of our story. It's part of the, the, the history of humanity. Part of the horror. But you got to change it. Can't have a ship called the Slave One. It's pathological. And you can't give pushback on that. If you say, hey, maybe they shouldn't have changed that. Well, you're the first one who stopped clapping. And worse, you're pushing back on it. Oh, so it sounds like maybe you want... Black people to feel bad when they watch Star Wars. Oh, so you don't think they should have changed the name of Boba Fett's ship, huh? I guess you want black people to be really upset when they watch Star Wars. Even though the name of the ship is never mentioned in any stories. 
Like it's something that you can only know if you basically do research on Star Wars or buy a toy. Like you already have to be invested in Star Wars to even know what the name of that ship is. It's not like the Millennium Falcon where it's like you watch the movie and they're like, the Millennium Falcon, the Millennium Falcon. It's not like you watch the movie and it's thrown in your face. But you got to change it, guys. We got to remove any reference that could possibly be recontextualized and distorted in a way that hurts somebody's feelings. But as I've said before, I just at this point I just encourage it. It's not like I'm I'm not I'm not invested. I'm observant. I have an opinion, but I'm not invested. Destroy it. Change all change everything at this point. Change everything in Star Wars. Change everything. Redo everything. Change every name. Find the worst possible explanation for why things are the way they are and change it. Make everything the same color gray. Mix all the paints together. Just make this kind of flat gray color over everything. Just do it. Why not? We don't need Star Wars to be relevant anymore. We don't need these things to be... We don't, we don't even need these things. We don't need mannequins to be anything. Fill, make them all fat. Make it all absurd. Make all the superheroes fat. Recast every period piece to pander to every audience. But what's interesting about that, I gotta, gotta go, I gotta go. But uh, what's interesting about the casting decisions too, though, is it's like, it's interesting who isn't represented. Because, you know, casting a black character or, or casting a black, char uh, black actor as Anne Boleyn or Macbeth, like that's a very bold signal in our society today. And it's not for black people. You know, if, if it was a situation where it's like, oh, you know, that decision will be the thing that makes race relations more calm and tolerable, that will actually help black people in a substantial, measurable way. That'd be a different story. It'd be a different conversation. It would still be a conversation, but it would be a different conversation. That's not the conversation that it is. You know, that's not the conversation that's taking place. It's not for them. It's for people who are experiencing this collective psychosis. It's for the, the person who sits down there, who probably isn't a black person, who watches the Anne Boleyn movie and says, you really care, you really care about this Anne Boleyn movie a lot. What's wrong with you? No, but it's for that person who sits down and watches the Anne Boleyn movie and says, I am such a good person for watching this. Isn't this progressive? Isn't this important? You know, this sucks, but what a great decision casting the black woman as Anne Boleyn. But it's interesting to me that, like, that's the signal. The signal is we're going to put black people in these roles. 
It's not we're going to put a Vietnamese woman. We're not making in Anne Boleyn where we're going to put a Vietnamese person in the role. We're not making Macbeth where he's played by a Mexican man. You know, there is diverse casting. Like they do put people of different backgrounds in different roles to the point where a lot of things now are just this sort of Captain Planet crew. A lot of things you watch these days are an it's a small world sort of experience where each character represents a different ethnicity or identity. But when they make these bold statements or they make a character from history or a character who has a certain background, when they change them, they fundamentally change who they are by casting an actor who comes from a completely different background. It's interesting who they don't represent. Like with England in mind, if you're making an English period piece about Anne Boleyn and King Henry VIII, why didn't they make it a, an Indian woman? We all know the history of India and England. Why wouldn't they make that decision? But that's not the signal. That doesn't play as big of a role in the pathology. So it's not like it's coming from a blank slate where it's like we simply need every group to be represented in every possible role. So this time we're going to we're going to remake this, but we're going to have this person from this part of the world. We're going to have a Nepalese man. We're going to remake Arnold Schwarzenegger Commando, but we're going to have a Nepalese actor. Those aren't the decisions that are being made. So it's interesting what they leave out. It's interesting what they don't do. And what's funny about it, though, is going back to the idea of camouflage, chameleons. They want to act like this is genuine. They want to act like all these decisions are genuine. They're hoping that you don't notice what they're trying to sell you or what they're trying to do. I think in this case, what they're trying to signal. Because they're selling themselves. It's not necessarily that they're trying to sell you a, a specific product. They're selling themselves. They're saying, hey, look at me. I'm cool. Don't you think I'm cool? Don't you think we're cool? They might want you to go see it. But they're also trying to say, hey, the people who made this are cool. But you end up with that same feeling. It doesn't seem to matter whether it's a TV commercial, an internet advertisement, or a new movie or TV show. You end up with this same feeling in your gut. You end up saying, this doesn't feel real. Like when you watch a commercial and you say to yourself, I can't laugh at this. Because one, the joke is stupid. But two, they're not actually trying to make me laugh for the sake of humor. This isn't comedy. This commercial that has some stupid punchline, it's not a joke. It has an ulterior motive, which is to sell me something, to put something in my head, to make me want something I don't need. 
And so as a result, you see something in a commercial that's trying to be clever and something in your gut goes, ooh, your gut tenses up. And you say, I don't want anything to do with that. It's, and it's trying to camouflage itself. It's acting like a chameleon. It's trying to act like it's something funny or cool. But the reality is it's a commercial trying to sell me something I don't want or need. Same thing with when you see a, a paid advertisement post pretending to be an, a, a social media post. You see it, and even though it's trying to masquerade, it's trying to blend in, it stands out and you go, no, I'm not going to find that interesting. It's not interesting. It has an ulterior motive. That's not a person that I follow who's trying to be interesting or trying to share something from their mind or their life. They're not trying to be funny. That is a company trying to sell me something or push something onto me. They have an ulterior motive. That's why when you see paid content, you feel that way. It's the same thing in entertainment. You know, when a movie or show comes out, you end up feeling that same, your gut tenses, your arms feel a little weird. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but why not? Or everybody's exaggerating. Everybody's crazy. Um, you end up getting kind of a similar sensation where it's like, oh, they have an ulterior motive. This isn't just about making an interesting movie. This isn't about just making an interesting TV show. They have an ulterior motive. They didn't just have a really good idea for an old story where they thought, hey, let's change this so that a different sort of actor can play this role. It's not true romance where it's like, hey, we're going to make a modern telling of a Shakespeare story. That's not the feeling you get. It's not story focused. It's not, it's not coming from a pure place. It has an ulterior motive that has nothing to do with the quality of the thing you're seeing, which is universal across everything I'm talking about in this episode. The ulterior motive is not to make a compelling story. It's not to make a good joke. It's not to make something truly interesting on its own. It's trying to push something onto you. And it's framed in such a way, the pathology has framed it in such a way that rejecting it at all requires some kind of disclaimer. It holds you hostage in a way to where you can't even have an honest reaction to it without somebody saying, hey, I can't help but notice you were the first one to stop clapping. Hey, I can't help but notice you're not smiling. Hey, I couldn't help but notice that you weren't the loudest cheerleader. It's a very sick thing that's happening. gave this land to me 
this brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free.